Glad to have you at the house of God with us this morning. Hey, welcome to our first ever five service Sunday here at Pursuit. Glad that you made it in time for church. Hey, just as a reminder, uh, we got another service at 11.45 and then one more at 1 p.m. And so uh, you may be here uh, this morning and you might say, Pastor, this service feels a little too packed for me. And uh, if that is the case, make sure next week you join us at our 11.45 or even our 1. We just want to make continued room for people to experience and encounter the presence of Jesus really in profound and in powerful ways. And that's really been my conviction as the lead pastor of this church for the last eight years is that as God continues to provide for us increase, instead of building a taller fence, we're gonna build a longer table. We're gonna make more room for people to continue to encounter the person and the presence of Jesus and in doing so be transformed into his image and into his likeness. And so thank you for joining with us and serving and helping out in all sorts of different ways. And we're just expectant uh, and excited to see all what God is gonna continue to do here uh, week after week. I, I know that some of you have been watching the news and hearing some of the reports this week, and I, I was emailed and messaged and phone called and contacted by several of you uh, this week just in response to some of the things we're seeing in the news. So I felt like it would be appropriate this morning to uh, start out by reading a, a statement that hopefully is going to provide some context for how we should think about the world around us. Before I say that, let me share this insight. I think one of the most dangerous things for us today could be that we have renewed hearts with unrenewed minds. That if we were to die today, that we would go to heaven, but we don't think like he thinks about the world around us. So Paul says it this way when he describes salvation. He says, in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. Meaning that our entire existence is wrapped up in the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus says. I think there's sometimes people today who actually over-individualize their own faith. It's just me and a private little side deal with God and you know it doesn't really affect anything around me but it's just I really just know Jesus and that's kind of it. But I'm reminded of the interaction that Jesus has with Peter when Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And Peter, out of the goodness of his heart says, no you're not, that will never happen. And Jesus says something so interesting. He says, get behind me, Satan. But then his second sentence is even more interesting. He says, for you are not mindful of the things of God. Which tells me this, you can miss out on what God wants to do in and through your life if your mind is not yet renewed to think how he thinks about the events of your life. And so we need Christians with a renewed worldview. We need Christians who view their world through a Christological lens. We need believers who ask themselves the question, what is God's opinion about the day and the age in which I live? So with that being said, if you would uh, humor me this, this morning, I'm, I'm gonna share with you a short statement I've written. Yeah, my wife and I are the parents of five children, three that are with us and two that are in heaven. After our first child was born, Maria and I experienced back-to-back -back ectopic pregnancies in 2017 and 2018. They weren't clumps of cells, they weren't lifeless beings, they weren't biological waste, they were babies. Separate and autonomous human beings who had a soul, a purpose, and a value from the very moment of conception. These babies had a unique name, a unique purpose, and a unique calling. And according to scripture, they were known by God himself as he was forming them inside of Maria's womb. 
and when we get to heaven, we will see them. Along with the 63 million babies our country has lost since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. Today, abortion is the leading cause of death in the United States, and it is not even close. After our miscarriages, the doctors told us it would take a miracle to have any more children. But God was merciful, and he gave us two more miracles. Children are an inheritance from the Lord. They are not an inconvenience. They are not a roadblock to your career. They are not a distraction from more important work, for in fact, they are our most important work. Abortion is immoral. It always has been and it always will be. It is the shedding of innocent blood which God abhors. And unless we have a belief that life starts in the womb, our opinion on any other justice issue is morally bankrupt and intellectually dishonest. Abortion is the reverse of communion. Instead of his body broken for us, it is the breaking of children's bodies on our behalf. Abortion is the reverse of the atonement. Instead of his blood being shed for our sin, we ask the next generation to shed their blood for our convenience. The most dangerous place for an African American is not in the inner city, it's in the womb. The most conservative estimates tell us 711 black children die in the womb each day in some communities for every baby born, two are aborted. The most dangerous place for a developmentally disabled person isn't on the playground being bullied by their peers, it's in the womb, as abortion now claims the life of 90% of preborn babies with conditions like Down syndrome. The most dangerous place for a female is not at the nightclub, it's in the womb. As the practice of sex-selective abortions is now common in many places around the globe. The United Nations now estimates that a minimum of 126 million women are missing from the global population count due to sex-selective abortion over the last 25 years alone. Friend, Roe v. Wade is a scourge on our nation. It is single-handedly the greatest civil rights issue of our day. It doesn't mean that other issues aren't important. It means that to present every issue as equally important is to intentionally ignore what science, scripture, and common sense tell us to be true. A person is a person no matter how small. I have friends who were born with disabilities. I've got kids who weren't planned. In fact, I, I know folks who were conceived through rape. How dare our culture invalidate their existence because of the circumstances surrounding their conception? How is it that finding bacteria on Mars qualifies as finding life on other planets, but hearing the heartbeat of a baby on an ultrasound doesn't qualify as finding life in the womb? How is it that our leaders in Washington state will fire you for not taking a vaccine, but then cry my body, my choice when it comes to aborting a baby? We have been lied to by our political leaders. We have been lied to by our celebrity culture. We have been lied to by the spirit of the age. Friend, a life has infinite value at the moment of conception and should be treated as such. 
No, abortion isn't wrong because certain politicians say it's wrong. Abortion is wrong because it takes a picture that God is painting and it rips it up before it can ever see the light of day. It takes a person formed in the image of God and unjustly denies them personhood before they ever had a chance to exit the womb. On Monday of last week, a draft decision was leaked that indicated the Supreme Court is now prepared to strike down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision and an announcement to that effect is imminent. And the church says, let it be so. Let 2022 be the year where 50 years of state-sanctioned genocide begins to end. And if you're going to a church whose pastor isn't even able to muster a singular coherent line about the value of life, find a new church. We got people running around so scared of their own shadow that they never say what is true out of fear of losing their influence or platform. Friend, if we can't tell the truth, we've already lost the only platform that matters. And don't tell me Christians aren't leading the charge not just for life, but for the care of women and children after they are born. Christians adopt at the highest rates of any community. For every abortion clinic that exists, Christians operate at least two pregnancy resource centers. Christians are on the front lines of maternal assistance, training programs, job placement, fatherhood initiatives, divorce recovery, and premarital counseling, just to name a few. If it involves the family, you name it, and Christians are leading the charge. Oh, it's easy to talk about morality and righteousness. It's harder to do something about it. So today we are announcing a $10,000 donation to the Pregnancy Resource Center located in Everett, Washington to assist at-risk women in making decisions to choose life. Oh, it gets better. Pagan companies are paying the travel costs of employees to abort babies out of state. So today I'm announcing that the pursuit will pay the travel costs of its employees who adopt babies out of state or out of country. Pagan companies are giving their employees paid time off to volunteer for pro-abortion causes. Today I am announcing that the pursuit is developing a paid time off policy that will reimburse employees who volunteer for pro-life causes around our state. We won't just talk about being pro-life, we're gonna do something about it. And although our nation has blood on its hands, I know the one whose blood is stronger, whose power is greater, and whose love is deeper. And what about if you've had an abortion? Do you still have a seat at God's table? And the answer for you today is yes. Because even the father knows what it's like to lose a son, and God's great grace and redemption is no match for our mistakes. If you've lost a baby, rest assured, for at the resurrection you will meet again. If you've lost a baby, rest assured, they are now safe in the arms of Jesus, and one day you will hold them again. The Father never leaves the orphan alone. Rest assured, heaven's largest mansion is reserved for those whose lives were lost before they ever had a chance to breathe. And with that in mind, let me draw your attention to the scriptures. Luke 1 
where it records Mary's response to an unplanned pregnancy. And in Luke 1, starting in verse 46, the Bible says this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit, it rejoices in God my Savior. Friend, you can rejoice in the unplanned events of your life, knowing that just because it surprises you doesn't mean it surprises Him. For God, in fact, has seen the end from the beginning, and if He didn't fail you then, He won't fail you now. No, it's not how I would have directed it. It's not in the way I would have preferred it. It's not according to the plan that I developed, but my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because if it didn't go according to my plan, it only means that God is getting ready to make it go according to his plan. See, the last eight years of pioneering this church has been a crash course in unexpected events. I've had to learn to trust God with what I cannot control. And through every turn in the journey, it is his right hand that has sustained me. It is his right hand that has rescued me, provided for me, encouraged me, and directed me. In fact, I have no other option outside of trusting his plan. Oh, you thought you was going to leave Washington State, but then you found pursuit. That sounds like God's plan. You thought you was going to struggle with that illness your whole life, and then Jesus touched you. That sounds like God's plan. You thought you was going to marry that deadbeat, but God said no because he had somebody else. That sounds like God's plan. You thought you was going to end up in that career field, but every door closed so that a new and better opportunity could open. That sounds like God's plan. You thought you was always going to be stuck in that position, but an unexpected promotion came your way. Friend, that sounds like God's plan. I got a question for you this morning. What are you magnifying? Because anything that you magnify simply gets bigger. If you magnify sickness, you get more of it. You magnify dysfunction, you will get more of it. If you magnify what is wrong with your spouse, you will get more of what is wrong in your marriage. If you magnify what is wrong with your kids, you will get more of what is wrong in your kids. See, sometimes we're asking God to move mountains that would have never existed without our magnification. We took a molehill and we turned it into an impasse, and now we need God to bail us out. Do you know why mountains, do you know why the mountains melt like wax in the presence of God? Not because they disappear, but because your perspective changes so you can rightly see them for what they are. See, when the Hebrew children made it into the promised land, the giants didn't disappear. Joshua just helped them have the right perspective, and in doing so, they declared, we can take this mountain, we can conquer this people and we can subdue this land. See, the word magnify in the Greek means to make great or to enlarge by your declaration, which simply means this, it ain't great until you declare it to be. For the power of life and death is where? In the tongue. I will not honor sickness by magnifying it. I will not enlarge anxiety and fear by magnifying it. I will not grow my doubts by building an altar to it. See friend, what you declare carries significant spiritual weight. So when the church gathers on Sunday, we corporately declare the Lord is great and he is greatly to be praised. See what you declare creates a value system that others will follow. 
You know, there are hard things about being a pastor and leading a church, but I am careful never to complain about church in front of my kids. Why? Because I want them to know it's a privilege to go, not a burden. I'm creating a system of value around the most important things by virtue of what I declare. Declarations are important. I so solemnly believe that Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night declaration. Because if I don't make a decision on Saturday night, I won't make one at all. I will go to the house of the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior. I will make a joyful noise. I will be a contributor in God's economy. I am declaring myself into that place of magnification as an act of my free will and volition. When plans change, the temptation is to curse God. But if you will handle disappointment well, God will take the pain of your trial and turn it into the triumph of your tomorrow. Mary has the most surprising news in all of human history dropped on her doorstep by the angel Gabriel. And here is her immediate response. I will bless the Lord at all times. I want that type of faith. I want that type of courage. I want that type of strength. Mary says, I rejoice. That word rejoice in the Greek literally translates to this phrase, getting so glad one jumps in celebration. The act of becoming experientially joyful. Do you know how to become experientially joyful? I think Paul tells us in Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, when I start to recount all the miracles, all the goodness, all the kindness, all the resources, I am so glad it causes me to jump in celebration because I have experienced a joy that has made me complete. Mary continues, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, watch, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things on my behalf, and holy is his name. What Mary is saying here is this, what God has done for me will never be forgotten. See, friend, when God blesses you, it is just as much about others as it is about you. Mary is saying, watch what people will say. They will never even believe how good God has been. That's why God loves to take broken stories and turn them into the testimonies of overcomers. Because the world around you is watching the narrative of your life. And they're thinking, you're the last in line. I can't believe God rescued you out of the gutter. I knew what you was like before Christ. It is simply too good to be true that God took you out of darkness, put you into light, took you out of the grave, resurrected you unto new life. I simply can't believe how good God has been in your life. See, Fred, we're building something here in the Northwest that will cause the generations to come into blessing. Oh, it couldn't be more unexpected coming out of Snohomish, but God himself has been mindful of our humble estates. I want you to see something. Humility attracts generational blessing. I am utterly convinced God will not stop pouring out his oil as long as we refuse to take credit for it. See, humility attracts the favor of God because God can trust folks who know they don't deserve it. God can trust folks who know they should be last in line. Watch what the apostle Paul says. He says, I am the least of the apostles. 
Paul says, Christ came to save sinners, of which I am chief. The man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament calls himself the least of the apostles. We got internet celebrity pastors who only got two-thirds of a sermon who think of themselves as God's gift to all of humanity. It ain't right. If you will walk in humility, God will cause favor to be attracted to you like a magnet. It'll follow you wherever you go. No, I don't need to take credit for it. I don't need to be known. I don't need to be celebrated. Friend, being a doorkeeper in the presence of God is enough for me. I went to a network event with pastors and leaders from around the region a few years ago, and everybody was going around the room to make introductions, and I was just kind of sitting there quietly, and I'll never forget this interaction I had. I saw a man from across the room stand up and begin to talk about pursuit. And I thought, this is so interesting. I know this guy, but he seems to be telling the story of what God is doing at pursuit. Went on and on and on and on, and throughout his entire testimony, I recognized that he was taking credit for what God had built. And I was getting irritated and wanted to say something, and then I heard the Spirit of God speak to my heart. He said, Russ, are you in this to get credit or are you in this to give me glory? See friend, if somebody else gets the credit, it's still worth it to gaze upon his beauty. I was in a meeting just the other day, somebody asked me what I do and I said, I work at a church. And they said, well, you're the youth pastor, I presume. And I just said, yes. (laughs) Listen. I don't need to be labeled as significant by others in order to be significant to God. See, our world is struggling to answer the question of significance, and every generation identifies it differently. See, our generation says significance is influence. Our parents' generation said significance is commitment. Our grandparents' generation said significance is sacrifice. But I believe that God is looking for Christians who say significance is obedience. I don't need to be recognized in order to be obedient for God has been mindful of my humble estate. See, the world rewards exposure, but God rewards hiddenness. The world rewards controversy, but God rewards peacemaking. The the culture rewards chaos, but God rewards clarity. The world rewards comfort, but God rewards development. Watch how Mary's song continues. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. For he, in fact, has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. The only thing that changes about our immutable God is mercy. For, in fact, the Bible says his mercy is new every morning. And do you know why you need new mercy? Because every day you get into new trouble. (laughs) And here's what I found to be true. Your amount of available mercy is connected to your amount of reverence and fear. See, the primary way that we demonstrate a reverence for God in our culture is by recognizing his nearness, submitting to his word, and confessing his lordship. It's not just that God exalts the humble. He scatters the proud. It is pride that comes before a fall. 
It is pride that convinces you to trust in your own strength. Friend, pride isn't just a bad idea, it is the very thing that God opposes. Pride may build fast, but it won't last. Pride is what caused the Tower of Babel to collapse. It's what caused Lucifer to be struck down in an instant. It's what caused King Saul to lose its anointing. It's what caused Judas to sell out Christ. Pride is the deception of self-reliance, that you can make it through this life without God and without others when God already declared in creation that it is not good for man to be alone. Pride is the original sin of self-determination seen in the Garden of Eden. It is the base ingredient of nearly every other sin that exists and it cannot coexist in an environment where God demands your full allegiance and your full attention. And I love how Mary weaves in the concept of mercy to the song that she's singing. She says his mercy, it reaches out to every generation. And friend, when his mercy reaches out, it's our job to reach back. I'm pulling on mercy, not just for me, but for my children and their children's children. That there would be a bridge of covenantal loyalty between me and the next generation. That they could look back over the 50 or 60 years and see a track record of God's goodness to the Northwest. The angel Gabriel shows up uninvited to announce to an unwed teenager that she would be great with child, and in fact, this child would be the Messiah. In possibly the most chaotic and anxious moment of Mary's life, here's her response. My soul will bless the Lord, and I will magnify my God. It's like our plans get changed by a tiny amount, and we begin to question whether or not God is real. God, I thought you said it was going to happen in this time frame, and it didn't, and I just don't know if I can trust you anymore. God, I was on my way to church, and I got a flat tire, and I just can't believe that you don't love me anymore. <laughs> and I think the greatest testament to a believer's maturity is how they respond when things don't go their way. I've got to trust that God has seen stuff I haven't. I've got to trust that his ways and his thoughts are high above. I've got to trust that although a man makes plans, it is God himself who directs their steps. Oh, we got to trust God in the midst of this momentum, in the midst of these destiny-shaping moments, that he holds all of time, space, eternity in his hands, and if he said it, he will do it because it's not in his nature to lie. Oh, I got to trust God with the unexpected events of my life. Oh, it's okay to question. It's okay to struggle with your faith and even doubt at times. That, that, that's a normal behavior that we all engage in. But friend, when you don't understand, you've got a choice to make, and I choose Jesus. I don't understand why, but I'm gonna choose Jesus. I don't understand how, but I'm gonna choose Jesus. I don't understand when, but I'm gonna choose Jesus because only you have the words of life. I want you to see the transition in Mary's song. She goes from talking about her to talking about the next generation. She said, God has been merciful to me, and now through me, his mercy extends to the next generation. Come on, friend, what we're doing here in this environment isn't just for us. 
It's for children who haven't even been born yet, who deserve a church that they actually want to attend. It's for a region that hasn't yet experienced revival and renewal, that is crying out for an encounter with a God who still has power. It is not just for us, friend, it is for them, for the fields, they are ripe unto harvest. So let us go ahead and pray that God would thrust out laborers into the harvest field. We are building a multi-generational church that will be founded on the promises of God that are yes and amen. And this region will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Oh, God's getting merciful to you, but it's not just for you. It's for everyone who will come after you. For the lamb is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. Watch. Mary was a mom who never lost her song. Mary saw herself as a continuation of God's faithfulness to Abraham and his descendants. And Mary recognized the significance of trusting God even when the plan changes. Hear me, hear me. Your life is the continuation of somebody else's promise. Your song is the celebration of God's continued faithfulness. And when moms and dads come together to bless the next generation, God will pour out a blessing that no man can contain. Friend, we are building a multi-generational church and there is room for young and old alike. So let us magnify our unity. Let us minimize our differences. Let us glorify our God and rejoice in his covenantal loyalty for our best days are not behind us. They are ahead of us. The closing verse of the old covenant is the prophets crying out for the hearts of fathers to turn back to the children and children to turn back to the fathers. It has always been in the heart of God to pour out his spirit in a way that is relevant and impactful, not just for one age group, but for all ages who would call upon the name of the Lord. We have the chance to build something for the next generation. It is not about us, it's about them. It's about those who have yet to breathe. It is about those who have yet to hear. It is about those who have yet to see. And we get to be a bridge of mercy to the next generation that they would know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who still answers by fire today. There has never been a better time to be alive. There has never been a better time to be in church. There has never been a better time to be filled with joy. I got a song in my soul. I got a song in my spirit. I got a river of life and it's flowing out of me. And it makes the lame to walk, and it makes the blind to see. It opens prison doors. It sets the captives free. Oh, I got a river of life, and it's flowing out of me. We got a song in the Northwest. We got a reason to sing in the Northwest. My soul will magnify the Lord. Come on, friend, let me pray for you. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that our joy would be made full by being in your presence. God, may we never miss an opportunity to magnify your name. God, we repent of the times that we have allowed the circumstances of life to steal our song. Just because it was unplanned for us doesn't mean it was unplanned for you. Oh God, you have seen the end from the beginning. 
You hold all of eternity in your hands. And we're just here to say to you this morning, we trust you with the days that are ahead. We trust you with our families. We trust you with our futures. We trust you with our finances. God, we don't have the answers, but we have seen the one who does. My soul will magnify the Lord. Father, we love you. God, we honor you. We thank you that you are at work in ways that we can't even quantify. And so we say, God, do your best work in us. We'll give you all the praise and glory both now and forever. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said amen. amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for our service. Hey, the altars are open. If you're here today, you're in need of a touch of God in your life, I'm going to invite you forward. I'd love to add my faith to yours to see God do a miracle in your life. We believe in a God who still does miracles. If that's you, why don't you make your way forward? Let's pray. If not, God bless. Hey, happy Mother's Day. We got a special gift for all the women as you leave service. Make sure to grab one before you go. Thanks so much for joining us. Come on, we're gonna be back here next week. Would you invite a friend? Let's help build the house of God together. We'll see you real soon. God bless.